I'm happiest in the saddle. <laughs> A fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat? A-hole. Dogs and cats living together. Masses Terrier. Come with me if you want to live. Hello. And welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And this month, we're having a bit of a special. We've got a guest. We're going to be covering The Untouchables, which was from Brian De Palma in which year, George? You 1987. Right. And this is quite the special because it's not only George and I here today. Today, we have a very close friend of ours, uh, Andy Hughes. George, what's the best way to describe Andy, would you say? A loyal Geordie Labrador. A loyal Yes, we do have to point out he is a Geordie. Uh, yeah, he, is a, he is a real Geordie. The, the, like us posh Geordie. I don't know. Maybe he'll put on a posh Geordie accent today. No, I won't. I won't. He, he's, he's, he's not, <laughs> just let it loose. Ganchogger. So we will refer to him as Husey, so don't, don't be shocked. That is Andrew's mm. nickname with us. Uh, but Andrew is a... Uh, he makes documentaries. He works in, in video. And that's probably all you need to know uh, about him right now. So... And Andy, anything else you want to add? No, just thanks, guys. A real honour to be here. And um, yeah, I wish you told me that you only did this in boxer shorts. I mean, <laughs> the heads up would have been good. It's hot, it gets hot in here. Uh, <laughs> and it also helps with the audio. Yeah. <laughs> of course, yes, let's be good. Yeah, definitely. And George and I, you know, we're brothers, uh, you know, so... We just, well, Husey's kind of like an unofficial brother as well. He's yeah, practically yeah. family, as and I said. Now now that he's in his boxer shorts, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> he is now one. my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the reasons we, um, I guess, we picked uh, Husey to come on this is because uh, it's not only because of his extensive experience in the business of making film and documentaries, it is also for your enormous love of this film. Yes, indeed. This is literally one of my favourite films. Uh, I'm a massive De Palma fan, and uh, this is one of his best. Well, we always like to start with uh, first memories, don't we, George? So We do, we do. Susie, what is your first memory? What does this film mean to you? Well, my first memory, bizarrely, my first memory of this is actually Scarface. And so I w- remember watching Scarface as a kid, and I, I was just blown away by it, and I just had to know more about who made it and I just started exploring uh, everything De Palma did and the first film I came across next was The Untouchables and And then you saw that Sean Connery was in it (laughs) yes indeed that that helped yeah and it's just it's just one of the best uh, De Palma films Absolutely. Um, and George, your your f- first memories? Well, we I'm pretty sure we were introduced to this by Dad. Yes. This is like a proper Dad film. We found uh, it like, in the... He recorded it. He I, recorded I, it, we found it, and he said, yes, you're allowed to watch that. And then I we, mean, in a way, like, not just our Dad. I'm pretty sure that everyone's Dad loves this film. It's a proper bloke film, but around that time, it's like... It's a very cool film. I, I remember it was one of those very very violent films we were allowed to watch and yes some of those scenes which I'm sure we're going to get into detail still terrify me to this day so yeah very similar for me this was a video uh, that we that we watched over and over again and yeah I just I can I can see myself sitting on the couch in our house watching this and being and being drawn into it and, and being emotional about this film because you know us being massive Bond fans uh, Sean Connery being so important to all three of us it, it's there's some emotional punches in this film and, and on that point shall I get into our usual disclaimer of how yes so here is George with our monthly I would just like to tee this up and uh, George will do our usual housekeeping but I think there should be a warning 
uh, for this episode because I think in this episode there's going to be probably some impressions of Robert De Niro there's probably going to be a few impressions of Kevin Costner and maybe Andy Garcia I think that's pretty much the only yeah. impressions yeah that's I, I don't think we're going to yeah. do any other impressions of anybody no 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 there's also the, the DA as well yeah we'll so, do the DA and yeah. the Irish cop so I think yeah. just that's the impression warning yeah, I can't think that. of anybody else that will no. probably be so and I'm sure I'll still find time to slip in an Arnie impression in there somewhere <laughs> I don't know what I'm just going to make up and coulda woulda shoulda he normally finds his way into our episodes yeah. one way or another so George take it away housekeeping we are film lovers we're not experts so you know we might get stuff wrong from time to time but we're just talking about the films that we all grew up with and we love watching for us it's yeah it's going back and seeing do these films still hold up and we're going to be going into detail on these films so there will be spoilers from the very beginning so we will be talking at length about Sean Connery's death in this film there may be some uh, occasional swearing and yes we, we've definitely covered there's more than likely to be one or two bad impressions but yeah we aim to entertain and yeah hopefully there might be some trivia in there that you, you didn't know about this film yeah so we are going back to 87 we are uh, obviously we're recording this in uh, boxer shorts but we are dressed in the most expensive most amazingly fashioned Giorgio Armani boxer shorts um, so we are just winding back the vinyl uh, which we're going to be recording on so yeah let's let's hit it here comes the show Sean Connery is Jimmy Malone. Paramount Pictures presents a Brian De Palma film. I have forsworn myself. I have broken every law I swore to defend. I have become what I beheld, and I am content that I have done right. You got nothing, nothing, and if you were a man, you would have done it now. Never stop fighting till the fight is done. The Untouchables. So, George, 1987, The Untouchables, Brian De Palma, how did we get here? How did we get here? So, yeah, we uh, we covered Brian De Palma we drama. We have gone, yes, from one by your lovely uh, moniker, Brian De Palma Bra- drama. I can't even say it. De pa- Brian De Palma drama. Yeah. So, yeah, we covered uh, Brian De Palma in our Mission Impossible special. So he did the first Mission Impossible. So the Untouchables, like Mission Impossible, was uh, based on a TV series um, that ran from 1959 to 1963, based on uh, the memoirs of Elliot Ness. The... TV show actually starred in the role of Elliot Ness was a guy called Robert Stack. Now that name probably doesn't mean much to you, but if I told you he played the role of Captain Rex Kramer in Airplane. One hope is to build this man up and give him all the confidence I can. Stryker, you ever flown a motor engine plane before? No, never. Shit. That's a goddamn waste of time. There's no way you can land this plane. Have all yourself. Um, the guy who has the two sets of glasses. He takes off one pair of yes. sunglasses and he's got another uh, pair of And he's got the, the dog that mauls the guy that goes to pick him up. Yeah. yeah. Along with Mission Impossible, they're both, both these films are adaptations of television series, but they're both owned by Paramount Purchase, as well as both being Brian De Palma's biggest grossing films. 
Wow. So there's some knowledge for you there. De Palma was, in his own words, um, he's quite openly honest and says that he was after a hit. He wanted a, a, a big hit. And this is something that you were talking about, Hughes. You were saying that he, Scarface, whilst became successful, wasn't that sort of... Yeah, that, that's exactly it. I mean, Scarface became a hit and certainly actually became more of a hit over the years. But Untouchables was the kind of, you know, that perfect storm of a huge studio backing, uh, a great script and the talent of De Palma. And this was really his first major film, I think. Yeah. Well, that's the, um, the interesting thing is, yeah, so he was approached by uh, producer Art Linson and Art Linson's got a really varied uh, filmography in terms of his production credits. So... The same year he produced Scrooged with Bill Murray, another you know, Love it. classic Christmas film. But he went on and did Casualties of War. That's De Palma as well, isn't Indeed, it? yes. A great, if harrowing Vietnam film. Yeah. yeah. And he did Heat as well. Oh. And oh, oh, we can't get Cusey started <laughs> about Heat. Oh, my God. Move on, move on. Uh, and another little film called Fight Club. So, oh, don't get me started about yeah, that. Yeah, so, Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah, quite a, a varied roster of films. But, yeah, he approached the Palmer with the project, and, and they both agreed that whilst everyone, there was a lot of love for the original TV series, that they weren't going to focus on the TV series. Um, De Palma even goes and says, like, on the documentaries, like, no, I wasn't a fan of the TV series. That's what not appealed, it didn't appeal to me. It was more about the characters uh, of Capone and Elliot Ness. Because, of course, um, we talked about De Palma previously uh, directed Scarface, and you've got some knowledge about Scarface, haven't you, Charlie? Well, it's actually when we, when we were talking about the... Um when uh, Hughesy and I were talking about the first scene about how it reminded you of Scarface the winding staircase and yeah, yeah the winding staircase and it is just quite cyclical in the fact that the you know the Al Pacino Scarface film was actually based on the book Scarface which was written much earlier and was based on Al Capone. So we go back. Good fact. I am there for the fact fans out Mm. there. All of you weird and wonderful people. Linton had got uh, Brian De Palma on board. They agreed they they didn't want to focus on the TV series. And then they brought on David Mamet on board. So um, for those of you who don't know, Mamet is an acclaimed American playwright. He's a film director. He's a screenwriter and and an author. So his most famous play is... Another Husey favourite, Glenn Barry, Glenn Ross. Craze! <laughs> <laughs> so that was originally started off as a play in the 1980s, but was then made into the film that many people know in 1992 with Pacino. Alec Baldwin. Baldwin. <laughs> um, Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Kevin, you can't say his name. Oh, oh, Christopher Plummer. <laughs> <laughs> And Jack Lemmon. <laughs> um, and Ed Harris. Stand down, Captain. He's, he's in it as well. Yeah, he is, yeah. Very young. And Hammy Jonathan Price. That's got a great cast. Yeah, it really has. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, they got David Mamet on board. And David Mamet is actually the key reason that both Connery and Kevin Costner came on board. Interesting. But the interesting thing that I didn't really realise, and it's probably like, an age thing because you're sort of watching films around the same time and it doesn't because we were quite young at the time but I didn't realise that this was basically Costner's breakout film yeah he, he wasn't yeah, really yeah, stopped before it, yeah. I, I just assume oh yeah it's, it's another Kevin Costner film because obviously we were lucky enough to grow up in the era of Robin Hood Prince of Thieves yeah um, <laughs> but um, yeah so uh, like Costner wasn't a, a huge star this was the same year as No Way Out 
which is another great uh, Costner film. Costner film. But yeah, De Palma was actually wasn't convinced that he could do the role. He was like, neither was the studio. Apparently. Yeah, was, actually, De Palma spoke to some of his friends, and we've talked about this previously, that he's uh, close with Spielberg uh, and right. Lawrence Kasdan. And Coppola. Coppola, and George Lucas as well. But, uh, yeah, uh, both Spielberg and Kasdan had worked with um, Costner before, and they both said, this guy's going to go places. You yeah. should really cast him. Yeah. But the but, studio wasn't up for it, apparently. Yeah, well, the studio was it was the same, and uh, it was it was De Palma who convinced the studio. Uh-huh. Well, the, the studio actually said, you don't need stars for this film because of the the TV show was such a big big thing go they, they thought there was going to be that, that brand recognition they weren't thinking about people like us <laughs> they were not thinking about people like us I've got some good coulda woulda shouldas but as per our normal schedule Jeff, and, Jeff and Selena running uh, running a bit late I'll, I will leave that <laughs> towards the end of the show however there is another coulda woulda shoulda that I'll, I'll talk about now and it, it's quite sort of well known but so before De Niro came on the scene uh, De Niro was always uh, De Palma's first choice but he was doing loads of different projects he was in theatre and there was a chance that he wasn't going to be available so De Palma met with Bob Hoskins and talked to him about it and he signed up to what's known in Hollywood as a pay or play deal and that basically means you sign up to a film and you get paid no matter what if the film doesn't happen or if you don't get the role percentage or a lump sum Uh, so um, basically, but the thing was, Hopkins would have done a good job. Well, to be fair, well, no, he would have done a really good job. I mean, I think he, you know, he obviously has the look of Capone. If you look at, you know, Capone's, I was going to say De Niro looks like Bob Hoskins. <laughs> <laughs> I like to see you tell him that. Well, well, the thing was, like, De Palma was completely upfront with Hoskins and said, "Listen, my first choice is Robert De Niro, mm-hmm. but if he can't take it, would you be interested?" And he's like, "Yeah, of course it would." And then so they met, and then like months later, Bob Hoskins received a check in the post for 20 grand um, basically on that pay or play deal so he, which in 1987 is a lot of money it's a lot of money for just meeting a director for a drink and uh, he basically rang up to Palm and said uh, please let me know if there's any more roles you don't want me to take <laughs> So, yeah, that's it. I say um, Connery was, was on board because the quality of the script was so good. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's the, the sort of the bare bones of the production. I mean, De Palma fought to get uh, De Niro on board because the, the studio was trying to cut costs wherever and they thought De, De Niro was asking for too much. So De Palma actually threatened to walk if they couldn't find the budget for De Niro. Which they did. Didn't De Niro ha- ask for some time to put on the weight and apparently he was eating in like a box of ice cream a day or something well, to try and get him up to weight. Well, that's it. You know, De Niro is De Niro. He is the one of the, well, outside of Daniel Day-Lewis, one of the greatest method actors of all time. So yeah, he wanted time to because obviously Al Capone was a chunky guy mm-hmm. to get to put on the weight but I say he um, when he first met with De Palma and Art Linson um, they weren't convinced he could do it they were like he's looking really skinny yeah. but yeah he's shown he can do he can go either way with what, raging bull no but know? what they did was they basically scheduled all of De Niro's work towards the end of the shoot which gave him time to oh. put on that weight yeah. Yeah. and basically put the weight on his face mm. um, but he still had to be padded out so like basically wore a fat suit and then apparently they they made his neck collar so tight to drive the, oh, the, really? the fat up yeah. yeah and then all the rest down there is padding 
I just like the idea that they gave him the exact same diet as Raging Bull without any training. <laughs> Meaning steak, ice cream, and everything, but unlike Raging Bull, no press-ups, no jogging. I don't think, I, I think De Niro was a little bit pissed off that he didn't get to put on that enough weight yeah. for the role. Yeah, he would have liked to be fatter. I mean, you know, there's apparently like stories online that um, De Niro tracked down Al Capone's original tailors to find out all the suits he wore. He even got, wore silk underwear at the best. It's like, stuff that you're never going to see on camera but it's all about getting in character just like we are now exactly well, glad no. two of us came in silk underwear George <laughs> well you know I, I just like the, the feel of lycra what can I say um, anyway so uh, yeah that's that's pretty much the, the, the pre-production shall we launch into the main review act one Soundtrack. Well, that's it. We've we've all talked about how how amazing the soundtrack is. These credits celebrate it. The way it's just Uh, you've got the name of the film, and it's like, oh, and by the way, here is the kick-ass soundtrack. So yeah, it's it's uh, Ennio Morricone, so um, one of the most famous film composers out there, probably the most famous piece of work he did uh, well started off doing the spaghetti western so the good the bad the ugly and fistful of dollars but he's done some acclaimed work this being one of them is, is one of the I think yeah we were talking about this earlier it's, it's got to be one of his best got yeah to. it's what I think about when I think about this film like for all of yeah. it it's, it's the drum beat one it's the, the um, harmonica the harmonica yeah. sounds and it's that you know that oh what a perfect life Elliot Ness has no, yeah. and oh sorry did you order flute did you order flute because <laughs> you're gonna get flute in this <laughs> film or the brassy Capone <laughs> 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 we all love that <laughs> just doing jazz hands doing jazz hands <laughs> no but what a soundtrack the opening you've got the credits that soundtrack and then all the stuff that you forget about like Giorgio Armani doing the costumes yeah the little things that all add up but apparently I found out through the special features that he did all the costumes apart from Connery who said that's all nonsense I'll bring my own costume that's weird because I actually thought that that was Armani I was like okay well you know I know I think if Armani had had his way he would have been like properly suited and booted like the rest of them whereas Connery's gone for sort of yeah casual smart casual well he's no but to be fair to him he's dressed as a beat cop a beat cop uh, who was taken under the treasury and got to wear plain clothes were dressed and the flat cap and the flat cap love the flat cap well, apparently there's um, there's a great story that um, Connery being Connery. Are you aware that Sean Connery likes his golf? <laughs> um, Does anybody not know that? So apparently he would turn up to sh- uh, to the shoot in his golf clothes, and they would do like close-ups, and he would literally be like dressed from the waist down in like his his golfing trousers and shoes and stuff. Then go off, play a round of golf, and then come back for like additional shots. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, Andy Garcia. Andy Garcia oh talks God. about this. Like it's on YouTube, and uh, Andy Garcia um, went up to him and was like, "That's really clever. Like you just you, you got back from golf, turn up for five minutes, do your scene, and then that's it." And Connery turned and goes, "This is not my first barbecue." <laughs> <laughs> He's having a great time. After those great credits, you've got that amazing opening scene. So, you know, we've talked about in uh, our Mission Impossible episode. Which, if you haven't listened to, what are you doing with your life? Still available to download. De Palma, he loves a camera trick or two, doesn't he? Oh, he's such a voyeur. (laughs) He is a voyeur. And so this has got people surrounding Capone. He's having a shave. 
you've got your prologue. I mean, it's, I don't know if it's because I'd watched Mission Impossible so recently. I was just noticing the, all the different camera tricks m- much more than I have in the past. Well, 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 as in his style. Yeah, yeah. yeah it is. It, it kind of carries through from his, even his early days, such as Blowout. You know, he's always doing this POV type of style, and later in his career, he's doing all the bird's eye stuff. Mm. And it, well, it's, it's a way, it, like, I don't know how many takes they've had to do. I think they even talk about they they had to cut. There's a, like um, a moment where it cuts to the reporters asking you a question. Yeah. And that's because they had to, like, they had such a good take, but that was ruined by one minor thing. Yeah. Um, and it might have been, like, a continuity error or something like that. But it's it's a brilliant setup. And um, But they employ something, because we, obviously we're going from director to director from Mission Impossible to this, but there's that... about John Woo. Not, not John Woo. <laughs> <laughs> we promise not to, not to bring John Woo back into the room. No, is the is it called the Dutch camera angle? Where well, the what, cameras... From, from uh, the Batman TV show, where it's <laughs> at a slight angle. That's, no, that's a Dutch Dutch angle. Dutch tilt, I think. It's, yeah, so it's, it's on a tilt, but in Mission Impossible, when he's talking to Kittredge in the fresh oh, restaurant, it's, it's from underneath. Up. Yeah, he does that because it's above De Niro, and then suddenly, it's oh, when, when up, the uh, when he w- cuts, when the buff cuts him and looks terrified. Yeah, hey, yeah. don't kill me. Don't yeah, me. I, I mean, it's it's a brilliant classic De Niro look. The the what the fuck did you just do? It is, it is. <laughs> and, and there's a kind of uh, smaller version of that look later on when the assassin comes up to him in the air and tells him that he's just killed Sean. Yeah. And then he just kind of looks at him, why are you ruining my song? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just the finger that... If, if you don't see, I'm doing a raised yeah. De Niro finger. <laughs> and, and a squint. It's all yeah. about the squint. Yeah. Uh, as uh, what's the, the, the one we always used to do is analyse this. Yo... Yo, yo, you're very good. Yo, yo. you're very good. Yes, yo. you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut from uh, Capone to that lovely little corner shop, and the guy's not willing to pay protection. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> oh. Just having a little chat. A little girl comes in. She's just now. Like, now we used to laugh about this. I still we were... laugh. At <laughs> that scene. Yeah. Mister, 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 you boom. <laughs> <laughs> Adolescent, you're laughing now. It is funny. It's a shock if you have children, obviously. You're an adolescent with no fear of death when you watch this film. We've talked about this uh, in in the past that, like, uh, you know, Charlie and I, since we've become fathers, you you become overly sensitive when there's, like, dramatic films with with kids involved. You get very protective. But this, I'm still laughing. (laughs) Even though I've got a little girl. There's a little voice in your head going, think of the children. Think of the children. And you're laughing away. But then we cut to Elliot Ness and his blessed family life. He is a loved man, a good man. <laughs> and here's some music just to back that up. You want the family to die after you watch this scene. I'm right? watching this now. It is. It's, it's so... Isn't it great to be married? Isn't it great? Do you, are you married? I mean, I think, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm getting in there early, but I would say that's one of the few weaknesses of this film. I think there's the, the Elliot Ness family stuff is a bit overly soppy. Yeah, yeah. And considering how acid-edged Mamet can be, if you look at Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, yeah. it's, it's actually quite... It feels a, bit, a little bit out of character. Uh, yeah, of course. Cool. And when you think about Elliot Ness, who's heading up this kind of real road kind of police... Uh, crew. Yeah. He's not going to be a guy who comes home and just, you know, spoon feeds bananas to the family all, all night. Well, apparently, <laughs> um, it's a bit of a, fi- a bit of fiction for you because Elliot Ness, I think, was married three times and Late. had an adopted son. That's more like it. That's <laughs> so, the Elliot I know. So, yeah. So um, it sounds like he's been upstairs and brushed the hair of a few ladies. 
<laughs> Sorry, for those not in the know, I am referring to a certain euphemism from the... That uh, I was completely unaware so of. So was I, I'm too innocent. He's still got some energy left. Maybe he'd like to come upstairs and brush my hair. <laughs> Why is it weirder? Why is he brushing her hair? So, so late. That's what they called it back in the 30s. During pure prohibition. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, speaking about prohibition, so we've got that... What this film does really well is that contra sort of juxtaposition between the sort of opulence of Capone and the fact that he lives in a hotel, yeah, <laughs> an amazing hotel, and Elliot Ness and you know uh, Sean Connery, and Jimmy Malone in their pokey little ki- drab kitchens, yeah. But apparently, according to uh, righteous, uh, according to De Palma, I try this down because he goes. I wanted corruption to look fabulous. <laughs> Why not? But it's obviously, as, as we already touched on, it's helped by Morricone's brassy school. As the look. Yeah. They've got that midget with the papers running upstairs. I want a midget who comes with the papers. Yeah. We all do. Yeah, I think it was a time. We move on to Nessa's first failed bust. The yep. Let's do some good, man. Yeah. Oh my God, that's such a lame thing to come out with. <laughs> and I'm glad that even in the film they, they, they pick it up. Well, yeah. yeah, you've got the whole, as we talked about, oh, my wife's made me sandwiches. I'm I'm so so happy right now. We are blessed. We are blessed. (laughs) But then that leads to so uh, it's a fail bus by uh, it's been tipped off. Elliot Ness is he's just he's a bit annoyed. He's 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 just looking out on the bridge. What what could happen? I think you're missing a key uh, fact here when he he allows a newspaper reporter (laughs) to to take a picture of him um, with the umbrella, which uh, and then in the next scene he's uh, presumably minutes later he's walking with a full copy of the actual front page. I mean, Hughie, what am I going to say is what have the press done for us? I mean, exactly, really, they're they're just the bad guys. Well, what this tells me is in prohibition times the press were on it they had laser printers and everything yeah exactly <laughs> fresh off the press fresh off the press <laughs> yeah take a picture and then it's the same evening isn't it yeah, it's minutes later it's, <laughs> minutes it's, it's later. like in the, it's, it's a dawn raid yeah. when you when he's like on the bridge Which and is, he's yeah. about to litter and that littering is going to change his life um, yeah it's still not light yet so because he has that chance encounter with that that Irishman yeah that, that, that Irishman with the thick <laughs> Irish accent you okay Paul. <laughs> easy, easy. <laughs> you carrying Paul? <laughs> What's with the mo? What does he call it? It's a Malaska or something. Oh, What's, so with many- mo- What's with the mo? What's with the Mohaska or something? Mohaska. What's your number one? <laughs> oh my God! Are we just gonna? We, yeah, we, we're, yeah, we're gonna pretty go much gonna it. go. Well then, you just fulfilled the first rule of law enforcement. Make sure when your shift is over, you go home alive. Might just have to cut us out and put it yeah, in some shot yeah. there. Possibly. So, Elliot Ness meets uh, the one honest cop in Chicago. Yeah. But, so then he goes about recruiting him. And he, so he goes to his apartment. And I noticed there's there's some nice foreshadowing of uh, of Malone's death. because I he, picked that up this time about how the camera lingers on Racine. Yes. And it's like, why are they showing the street sign? Why is it? Why ah, do we need to remember yes. Racine? Is but, it Racine? You, yeah, 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 Racine. Because it re- revisits it when... Well, it's on the match, yeah, of course. These matches say you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, there's, there's that, the lingering on the street address, but there's also shows how paranoid Malone is because he answers every time the door rings, he gets out his sawn off shot. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Don't uh, you? 
well, you know, it was, it was it was it was a different time back then. But then that leads to you know, obviously, one of those. Well, there's some, there's some more really failed attempts at Sean Connery to be Irish, where when uh, Ness offers him the job and he goes, well, "If I was a younger man, but." No, thank you, no. <laughs> so we, we talked about this before. It seems as though he's trying to be Irish quite a lot at the start of the film. And but at the end, he's, he's kind just of just giving it up. Well, he's, he's just like, he's this, obviously, he's obviously shot a lot of golf by this point. <laughs> <laughs> so he's obviously really tired. Yeah. He's, he's just had I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm in my zone. I'm just going to go with it. And Brian, it's just like, yeah, I can do accents. <laughs> Did you not see me in Highland? <laughs> I was a better weep over a mirror. I'm Egyptian. I'm Egyptian. Egyptian to the King of Spain. So then we get the well. It's not really a montage, but there's the recruiting session because they need to uh, go go get the the young buck. But I, before before we dive into that, just to take it back one second. Oh, ha- we haven't got the sorry, we missed the whole church scene with the blood oath and the, yeah the fact that how many times I've worked on this film that I think he says at least six times what are you prepared to do well, I, I picked up on that because yeah, he, like, he says yeah. it twice in the <laughs> church and, yeah. and he says it on his deathbed on his deathbed he says what do you to do spraying it with blood I'm sorry I'm sorry I didn't catch it <laughs> But no, but I like the way that they're like, it's, um, you know, we, you and I take the piss out of when the, um, the plot, you know, is like laid down thick with the, um, you know, it's like laid out for you. Well, exposition. The exposition. But with this was yeah. the fact that in the same meeting when they're in the Connery's apartment, he says, I wish you'd, I met you well, 20 years ago, 20 pounds ago. Um, is, is he says, they both say to each other, he says, what is it? He's like, he says, I'm just a poor beat cop. And then about two lines later, <laughs> Costner turns around and goes, you're a good cop. And he's like, okay, <laughs> we get it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. You're noble people. Yeah. 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 Move on. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, but we've got the whole, the, some of the most iconic dialogue we've skipped over that so they meet in the church yeah. because it's the only safe place and apparently that was uh, Connery's idea the original script had them just chatting on the street but yeah. he said right. he thought that it would be yeah they had to go somewhere secretive so it works it works yeah and they've got the want to get the phone here's how you get him he pulls a knife you pull a gun he sends one of yours to the hospital you send one of his to the morgue that's the Chicago way that's how you get the bomb. But it is, I mean, it's it's Mama at his best, and it's become probably, I'd probably say it's the most iconic line in the film. Oh, Not just that, I think it's actually shaped a lot of other gangster films. It's like, I think since that film, there's always, this, it's almost a phrase, well, what happens when he brought, he's the t- you know, brought a knife to a gunfight? You know, it's yeah. like, it's, and it's, it's, and it's, it's also like, whittled it's, down it's to that. Bit, it's a bit like uh, The Dark Knight, it's that whole sort of escalation, you know, yeah. you dress up as Batman and they start wearing, you know, Bulletproof vest and armor piercing rounds and, yeah, yeah. and all that. So, what was it you said about the rotten apple? Well, if you're afraid of getting a rotten apple, don't go to the barrel. Get it off the tree. I'll drop it in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, drop yeah. it in. So, they go to meet uh, hotshot George Stone. George Stone. <laughs> What's your real name? <laughs> now, again, this is probably the finest part of Connery's Irishman. Oh, genius. Oh, that's all we need. <laughs> Another tea and wop. 
<laughs> and you sort of like you can just imagine him turn the camera we done we done we okay, I, I've got to get out before we lose the light <laughs> <laughs> my, my tea off time is soon but it's um, very hot and cold the first recruit that they speak to can't even can't it, put a sentence together can't even put a sentence together to protect there's the next chip of pollution <laughs> but when they bring well, that's got, it there's some great little sort of zingers yeah, like, in, in the dialogue there but I get the feeling when Garcia turns up they're like um, Andy I know obviously you, you live in LA you're an up and coming actor we needed you to turn the Italian up to 11 <laughs> it's hardly I mean unrecognisable or, or no he's uh, 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 Garcia is actually uh, well I only found this out from my notes he's actually Cuban well, I don't agree. Really? Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're all surprised. Every day is a school yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I can't believe how, like, how thick it is, like, the Italian when he's, like, having a go at Connery. But thinking enemy. But that is, yeah, it's, it's a great scene. And it's just the fact that Connery just, after all that, goes, oh, I like him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I think, again, it's probably one of uh, Garcia's first roles as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think he was fairly, uh, and apparently he initially was auditioned or uh, wanted. They wanted him for the role of, as you call him, the assassin. Yeah, I think it's Frank Nitti, the guy, the, the man in the white suit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he Dr. insisted Death. he wanted to read uh, for for George Storm. Oh. I, I didn't really touch on this in the production chat, but this film's got some amazing cinematography. We've talked about. De Palma's love of of camera angles, but obviously he needs a good cinematographer mm. behind him. And uh, the guy who does this is a guy called Stephen H. Uh, Burum, I think B U R U M, and he's a regular De Palma collaborator. So he worked on Mission Impossible as well. He did Carlito's Way, and he did Snake Eyes as well. He said in his uh, in the behind the scenes stuff that he wanted to do play around he looked at they did a lot of research on like 1930s photography and it was all about use of negative space and lots of repetition so they also talked about the fact that in 1930s if you look at all the photos 1930s there's hardly anyone on the streets yeah that's it and that's what they wanted to go for so that opening shot of the corner shop there's hardly anyone on the streets on that where you see all the cars lined up that's that negative space that repetition of all the same cars lined up on the street but hardly anyone there Mm, yeah but yeah I just love the I mean obviously it's got amazing locations work like some stunning sort of Chicago underneath uh, the train lines you've got the the the, the the courthouse yeah Yeah. the the sort of outside the police station and stuff like that it's uh it's amazing. Well, there's that, that leads us on to um, the first bust because they go into. Is it the post office? It's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. it's like everybody yeah. knows. Well, Sean apparently. Sean and everybody apart from Elliot Ness knows yeah. exactly where where it's all going down. But uh, <laughs> one of uh, the things that I I always remember about this this scene is when he busts in and there's the guy that's overseeing it. Some of the worst acting from the gangster. <laughs> this isn't right. This is no good. <laughs> Get a warrant? Yeah. Here's your warrant. <laughs> well, it's just like, it's like Wayne's I know it's a small role, but I'm sure we could have got somebody better than this. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's it's awful. And but that, obviously, that, that first bust, that guy's made a mistake. And, uh, well, Capone's going to, you know, he's got to take action on yeah, it. Yeah, you say he's got a bad actor, but we have penalties in this film <laughs> for, for bad acting. <laughs> and there are baseball bats. So yeah, that leads us to the uh, the baseball scene. Oh, that, that's what, that's what monologue. I mean, yeah, obviously we talked about him being a method actor, but every time I watch this film, you, you're listening to the words that he's saying, but you're just looking at him and just going, 
wow. You know, you're just going, it's De Niro. He's in his element. It's what you want to see him do. It's, I mean, it's an amazing scene because, yeah, it's, it's a great monologue from De Niro, but it's just that palpable tension. Yeah. You know something's going to go it's, wrong. Yeah. You know he's an angry man. It's like a drip feed of tension. Yeah, but they they don't seem to get it. They they're not they're not bricking it. Yeah, no, because well, even the guy that he well, takes that, out is like just about to light up a cigar. They obviously we can feel it. No, and no, once no, again, it's, it's that camera view. Well, that's the cameras from the table looking up. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. that. That's no, and when you see behind the scenes, they've they've cut a hole in the table, and the camera's just spinning around, yeah, yeah. just like following everyone. But that is there that it shows. It's probably down to De Palma, but it shows like how. Yeah, as you say, they're all comfortable. They're all yes men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it an, uh, uh, teamwork? Teamwork. Yeah, they're yeah, all just uh, yes men. And yeah, and, yeah, and just laughing it. at every joke. Yeah, that, that's it. He's, he's holding court, and it's probably down to. The sound effects, it's down to Marconi's score, but th- that scene still terrifies me. It's such a brilliant example of brutal violence. Do you know a, a good fact uh, I heard about that scene was uh, I saw an interview with De Palma and he was saying that that scene, De Niro kept asking to do more takes. Really? And De Palma kept saying, why? You're just doing the same thing every time. And De, pa- and, and De Niro was saying, no, no, let me do it again, let me do it again. And it was only in the edit suite that he realised he was actually... It's very subtly, just it, it, and differently, just changing the is in a the facial manner, exactly, manner or something exactly. like that. And he said he just he didn't realise until he actually got in that edit suite. He thought he was just doing the same thing over and over again, and he wasn't. But it's all that squinting and looking. It's the stuff you don't hear, and it's the fact that you see him. I don't know. There's just something about Robert De Niro that is truly terrifying, and and they yeah. pl- they play up to it in uh, Meet the Fockers. You know, they they put him in a, like a comedy where it's like, oh, imagine yeah, yeah. if he was the dad of yeah, the girl yeah. he tried to marry, and he was working for the CIA, yeah. and it's like it's perfect for that. And in in this though, it's kind of like you could you you'd be happy to just let him monologue to just mm. let him talk, but. Uh, I can remember, you know, we mentioned the fact that our dad introduced us to this, but I can remember dad saying that he thought the violence in uh, Godfather was over the top, whereas he felt that the violence in this, it was their short shrift, you know, they're like, there's a few scenes of violence, there's a bit of blood, but it's not like in... I don't know, for some reason, he didn't think this was... Probably because it's Kevin Costner. That's true. (laughs) Everything he says is fine. (laughs) No, but that's it. It's like, if you take out... There's there's obviously... There is barely... Probably if you cut all the bits together, there'd be barely a minute's worth of violence in this film. Mm -hmm. But there's so much implied violence. And I think that's... I just remember, like, it's... It's one of those scenes that's ingrained in your memory. It the is. fact that, again, it's that De Palma thing, that top-down shot. Of, of the watching, residue of the scene. Yeah, watching the blood, f- like, slowly sleep out and how dark... The, I just remember how dark the blood is. Yeah, it's because like purple, it black. Is, yeah. Because yeah. I remember, like, growing up with, like, Bond films where it's, like, red paint. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's overly, like, red to, to get away with that, sort of... And it's only recently, in the 90s, that we, when Tarantino actually got scientific about it and he showed that there were... The, the, the amount the colour of the blood was dependent on the volume and this mm. film I think he took a lot from it mm. in this film it's like it is a very it's dark claret <laughs> yeah um, and, and again yeah I say it's that it shows how skilled uh, you know a composer Morricone is that you've got these sweeping like romantic themes like dramatic themes but then it's just like some piano keys that's really like horrible menacing yeah really adds to the sort of that tension one for all the family where (laughs) the hell are we (laughs) 
so yeah, we get. Um, I think it's our first scene of Frank Nitty, the the, the assassin in white, turns up at uh, outside Elliot Ness's house. I said, that's a nice house. <laughs> <laughs> Family's really important. <laughs> like, that guy's so evil. It reminds, right, he really is. You know what he reminded me of? The, the weasel gangsters from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. You know, oh, like, yeah. Getting, getting back to Bob Hoskins. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, it, it is almost, he's obviously playing, like, it is a very much a... 1930s gangster sort of caricature yeah. but the, that guy is really fucking evil he is and he's just on the right side though he, 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 he's a hissable villain he's yeah, a proper exactly, sort of like yeah. I hate that guy yeah yeah. it's like every single time he turns up in the scene, in, in a scene you just know something bad is about yeah him. well that's it and it's it's how he's used it's, it's, it's really effective we've got more time with Elliot Ness and his lovely family and Eskimo kiss dad butterfly kiss kill them already Um, but let's go straight into the border raid so they they fly off they've got the hot tip this is great I suppose there's that foreshadowing with what's the geeky accountant guy Wallace 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 Wallace. you carry a badge (laughs) (laughs) carry a gun Um, but Wallace keeps doing it but guys he hasn't paid his taxes why won't anyone listen so they fly to Canada. Yeah. Well, Robert De Niro was was having the scenery over for dinner. <laughs> uh, we've gone from that to Connery monologuing in the cabin. Well, I've I've got in my notes lessons from Connery and because he, he literally goes around the room to every yeah. single person and he yeah. says, "Who are you, my mentor?" He's like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> no, but they they say in the behind the scenes stuff that he, it was like it was exactly the same off camera that they all looked up to him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. Uh, and and Connor goes, "Oh no, I like them all." You know, sort of <laughs> yeah. like sort of like, well, you know, they, they could have been worse. <laughs> Gold, stamp your feet. And <laughs> <laughs> one, he's just yeah. chopping away at his sausage. You know, <laughs> <laughs> sounds a bit wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're alone. Not you're in a cabin with drunk. a bunch of guys. You've got to keep warm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it like some mini sort of YouTube episodes lessons with Sean Connery Sean Connery back in the cabin <laughs> whittling whittling his sausage whittling wood I mean it's it's a great a uh, great scene combined with a nice little gentle racial slur against the Canadians <laughs> what's that? well it's just how the Mount- Mounties don't do what they're told how they're like you know because they, they have a set plan and uh, they they are kind of painted as the silly Canadians in this scene. I do not approve of your methods. Oh, that's brilliant, man! But what a hit! What a what a hit! And as we discussed, in terms of body count. Wallace, the the, the, the accountant. <laughs> Wallace, the bumbling idiot, is yeah, actually uh, more clinical than the assassin. Yeah, well, that's it. A, yeah, you've got Hotshot Andy Garcia gets taken out straight away. Scene, yeah. Because he announces, he turns up, points the guy, guy goes, "Hey," yeah, and then shoots him. The other guy gets him. Um, but no, it's it's a great scene because you it's cutting between the three different parties. You've got the Mounties storming from one side of the river. You've got the gangsters running around like headless chickens on the bridge, mm-hmm. and then you've got the heroic Untouchables going into in for the kill <laughs> one of my favourite Connery lines is in this scene which I completely forgot I about where say. he's chasing after the guy and he goes <laughs> enough of this running shit it just, just fires in the air there's no nonsense attitude yeah, to everything it's, enough I, of this running and, shit and I sort of part of me just thinks he improvised that yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I've got to get back he, to my goal he couldn't be asked to <laughs> so, run so Sean you're going to be running uh, I don't know 50, 100 yards <laughs> so we'll see you about that 
I mean, the favourite part of that scene for me was when um, it, it just ends. He shoots the barrel, and then they've got whiskey coming out of the yeah. barrel. And then Wallace just takes a cheeky little sip, and goes, Ooh, just nice the cheeky little nerd. Here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, apparently, it's it's a bit like the thing in The Godfather that every time you see an orange on screen it symbolises death death is apparently, coming apparently every time somebody takes a drink that mark, their mark in this film they're marked for death so Wallace has a drink of alcohol oh. he's killed soon after Connery is seen drinking That's in his fact. kitchen before he's picked off so. yeah don't drink don't, it's the overall message of this drink. film and <laughs> the era in general what about the little girl at the start of the film does she, she have a oh, cheeky shot she, 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 she did well, well that's what she was at the bar for right <laughs> <laughs> They ruin uh, Capone's run, and uh, obviously Capone isn't happy. But again, you two keys. But again, like you would uh, linking back to what you were saying, Hughesy, about uh, spe- expediency of of the printing press. The guys managed to get all the way back from Canada to report to Capone very quickly that yeah. it's, it's gone south, and the. Again, it's probably one of the best lines from De Niro. I want you to get this fuck where he breathes. I want you to find this Nancy boy, Elliot Ness. I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want his house burnt to the ground. I want to go to the middle of the night. I want to piss on his ass. <laughs> Great delivery. Oh, it is. It's, it's perfect. I can hear it in my head. It's like, generally, like, if anybody annoys me, I'm like going to De Niro. It's like, I want him dead. <laughs> dead. <laughs> So yeah, as as we've uh, already talked about, uh, Wallace has, has had a cheeky drink, and that means he's marked for death. Well, what were you saying about they get back to the station? And it's pretty eerie, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, it was it was well it, when they first arrive, it's all celebration, you know. Um, Sean and uh, Sean oh, he's, 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 uh, exactly. his, his wife has, he's just given yeah. birth, so they're there with the cigars. Everyone's happy. They're all, all the press are there. He's named his son after exactly. So it's all celebration, and then the moment that changes the whole mood you see the assassin and the police well it's, it's a bit but it's that camera work it's, it's that brilliant camera work. everything's yeah, exactly. great they're they're everything. lifting like well what could possibly go oh no, yeah exactly yeah. We, we uh we touched on this beforehand we talked about obviously De Palma's roots you know he loves point he of nods view. he gives a nod no, to no, but, Hitchcock, no but he loves point of view and and it that has it's it's sort of it's steeped in horror is that whole and that whole scene is very sort of dreamlike isn't yeah, it it's it is. very and floaty he kind of follows a character for a little while and then he peels off onto another one and yeah. he just it's keeps doing that because yeah. the thing about perception we're doing from one person's perspective to another exactly. because the thing I picked up this time around this, that scene and I don't know if you guys know, is that they're taking him down in the service elevator and the lift opens and a really pretty girl walks out and that draws Wallace's yeah. attention. And he's like, oh yeah, perks of the this job. Is much better than a cat. And, and the camera follows her as well. And then she immediately gets in the next lift with all the reports and stuff. So she's obviously a plant. Yeah. Because, because why, why would she be in the service elevator for a star? And the fact is that it, it's she's worked. Just, it's just to action. Yeah, no, she, yeah, she's, so she's not going to recognise the assassin. Yeah, she, she's, she's drawn the guy's attention. And were you listening to me, Neil, or were you looking at the girl in the red dress? That's it. And it, you, it leads to Wallace's death, which again is pretty brutal the, well, as we say it's like a horror scene yeah, yeah like it's like what it is like it's it's, so, yeah the fact that it's like the blood smeared on the yeah. walls but it's that yeah. little did you notice that watching it this time because when I notice you see the guy he just gets away just as because they run out into the street Costner and uh, Connery and just as they just before they come around the corner the guy gets walks, away he, he walks, millimeters, yeah. he walks past camera and he probably, I, I, what I noticed this time is his hands covered in blood 
Oh, right. And it's yes. the only, you know, and it's the fact that it's hand, and I was like, oh, and then it's like, yeah, because he's, he's been sitting there waving. Yeah, just like, I've got, I've got a few things to say. Uh, <laughs> how would you write touchable again? Is it, wrong, <laughs> is it wrong to think of Sideshow Bob from The Simpsons writing in blood? We're getting to the bit that we don't really want to talk about. I struggled to watch this. Uh, I bought this on Blu-ray, um, and I watched it as soon as I bought it, which was in the last year. And then, obviously, in preparation for this, I went back to watch it. And full disclosure, I skipped this scene. I'm sorry. I don't, know what, I don't know what it is. It's just <laughs> you like, know what. I don't blame you because I just really struggle watching one of my biggest heroes of all time. Uh, we might have mentioned him already, uh, Sean Connery. It's. I mean, I know it's. I watched the the actual. It's just the bit where he's like choking the stuff out and talking to Costner. I just, I just skip that bit. It's, it's, it is so tough to watch, isn't yeah, it? It's, it's hard. It's, it's weird because I think. We obviously all saw this when we were fairly young, and you're seeing it was the first time that it showed that your heroes aren't, you know, they're not bulletproof in in a way. Like we've watched countless Bond movies with Connery saving the day, and he's never always he's always gonna you never see him bleed. You never see him bleed. Mm-hmm. He's always gonna escape state danger, and it almost like. It's probably one of the first ones I remember that made like death feel like a proper real thing. It's, yeah. it's almost like I've put it in my notes, and it sounds completely over the top, but it felt like losing a family member. Well, well that's he's, it. He's the paternal figure throughout. That's it. It, it, it. Just every time I see that, I think of my dad, and it, <laughs> it, it, because he is the paternal figure. In, but but in he's, 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 he's a paternal figure to us all. Well, he is. <laughs> even away, not in I'm the not film. talking about Jimmy Malone. <laughs> <laughs> about so sure. But again, it comes down to like as soon as you. See the assassin. You see Sean, um, you know, playing about yeah, the window, pouring yeah. his whiskey, and then it just pans down. You see the assassin. As soon as you see him, yet again, you think, right? Maybe it's fuck. not going to happen this time. No, but that's what's great about the scene. Again, you've got De Palma point of view, the the assassin, a different assassin following him. And it's almost like it's a bit weird because he follows him and then he loses him in in his own apartment. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then Connery has got one up on him. Yeah. yeah. Just like a wop to bring a knife <laughs> to a gunfight. <laughs> just <laughs> racist till the end. <laughs> the way he looked at his killer. The way he looked at that assassin. But you think, yeah, he's, he's chased the guy out. Uh-oh. Oh, no. no. Back up. Yeah. Brutal, but brutal. There he is shot a lot. Well, I mean, that's why lots of times. Yeah, almost make sure he shoot him till he's dead. <laughs> Was like, I'm amazed that he managed to hold on for so long. Well, Sean, I mean, of, anyways, of course, of course, he's Sean Connery. But yeah, it, I say it's, it still gets me. Obviously, it's it's helped by. Um, alcohol, drugs, alcohol, and drugs. <laughs> <laughs> therapy. Um, but Ma- Morricone's soundtrack, like you said, you skipped that scene. It's the music that kills it yeah. for me. It's just like no, 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 no don't leave us. Mm. And the, the I say we've we've talked about the <laughs> what are you prepared <laughs> to do? <laughs> That's the bit that gets me. Actually, I can deal with him getting shot and seeing him crawl and all that. It's and the bit when Osner goes back is the bit that I skip. Yeah. And he's reaching. Like, oh, yeah. are you reaching for when you? He's, you, when you, he's you reaching, Jude. Yeah, it's yeah. just such an emotion. And he's like, no, you idiot. Yeah, <laughs> I'm doing my job. Yeah. yeah. And I said, I've got my notes. De Niro's even crying, but no, he's at the opera. That's why he's crying. But it's, it's pretty emotional. Yeah. But that's, again, there's that juxtaposition of really, you know. Opulence versus yeah. um, tragedy. Yeah. And it's, it's the fact that, yeah. And as you said, you know, uh, the assassin comes to the deed is done. He's like, good. 
again leads us on to uh, the probably the most famous bit of this film, the the, mm. the staircase scene. I was I thought you were going to call it the sailor scene. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen a group of sailors congregate at that time of night in a station in a landlocked city. <laughs> I don't know what film they were filming. Um, so yeah, in the in the original script, the there was supposed to be a final gunfight was supposed to be on a on a train, but Paramount said that seems a bit expensive <laughs> trying to source a 1930s period train. But funnily enough, mm. De Palma would go on to do a train set scene for Colito's Way. Correct. Uh, which I haven't seen in years, actually. I need to give that film another We one can't shot. afford a train from the 1930s, but we can afford a train from the 1970s. <laughs> mainly because it's still in use. <laughs> mainly because it's still being used. <laughs> Don't tell um, anyone about that. So uh, I'm just, just going to put my glasses on and give you some film nerd trivia. So this whole staircase scene is... We've talked about De Palma is a... Uh, he loves to uh, reference uh, other directors obviously Hitchcock is, is a massive influence on him but this scene in particular is a massive homage to uh, a one of the most famous films early films from 1925 Battleship Potemkin a silent film all about the sort of uh, revolution of the, the Russian army directed by Sergei Eisenstein I had the pleasure of watching it uh, in during my uni days but yeah one of the key scenes is the Odessa steps and it even has the pram falling down the steps it has soldiers and I think sailors getting shot <laughs> so yeah De Palma once he realised he wasn't going to get his shootout on a train he was like right well we'll just do the Odessa steps mm. so, so yeah it's good fact it's good fact There's, um, but again it's been apparently it's also referenced in Terry Gilliam's Brazil I, I've only seen Brazil once and I can't remember that scene but, can I? but obviously this scene is also <laughs> being parodied in Naked Gun 33 and a third <laughs> where there's not one pram not two there's actually actually four as well as a rogue lawnmower um, <laughs> the Pope turns up as well as, as Bill Clinton I'll, uh, I'll put a link on the blog but it's like save my baby save my lawnmower but it does show how much of an impact this made but, to popular culture of the time but yeah it's I mean yeah, we've talked about you know to Palmer's brilliant at that unbearable tension mm. that suspense and there's so much build up on this oh, isn't there yeah there's the sort of like looking it's, at the clock everyone is a potential gangster but there's a guy it's just useless mother it's like just Get the pram up the bloody stairs, woman. Why didn't she just take the lift? <laughs> <laughs> there was lifts in those days. We've talked about the service elevators and everything. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 a really it's almost painful in terms of like the tension because you've yeah, got is, you've got the lullaby, you've got the crying of the child. <laughs> And it's and it's really sort of and then the sort of Morricone sinister music's creeping in, and then the bookkeeper turns up and all hell breaks loose. Yeah. Uh, how many sailors do we do we think gets killed? I, think I, mean, I counted three. Right. I counted. I counted a lot of hungry I, sailors. I think there's at least four sailors that yeah. get caught in the crossfire. Did and, nobody tell them? Did but, they not watch the duck and cover video? And well, the other thing I I, I get a bit confused about is just because they're inherently evil, but why? Why do the gangsters start shooting at the pram? 
But I, I, I is see, it I'm undecided about it. No, 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 because he's chasing after it, and I, they start shooting at it. But it, I'm undecided about this, because it seems to me like, because like, they're flailing about, right. they seem to be just out of control, oh, and just, just like firing in that general direction. It's, it's, it's just building Yeah, that's attention. what I think. About the tension. But yeah. I, one, you're missing out the thing at the start of this, which I found hilarious, and I just burst out laughing when I saw it. it, was when he first shoots the guy at the door, and then he turns round to start shooting at the guys on the stairs... The, m- the mother grabs, go, gets over oh. at Ness and says, no, don't do it. And he literally just fucking elbows her in the face. <laughs> get off. <laughs> Doing my job, sweetheart. <laughs> don't get my way. Yeah, no, I remember that. She's like, my baby. And he's like, not now. <laughs> Saved your baby. But do you not think that generally, I I, what I picked up watching this is, obviously he's a master of tension, what he does. Even in the first opening scene when they're about to do that first bust, he sees the photographer when he catches yeah. the photographer he like pulls out his gun and it's like tension tension but it turns out to be nothing but in this film there's a lot they're a bit gun happy have you not noticed oh, yeah. like mm. if anybody like comes into a room they all immediately pull out their guns yeah. I mean it's trying to reinforce that they were under On threat yeah. the entire time but even when Malone and um, Stone uh, come and meet him at his pe- at his house after the wives and they're like straight out with the guns and yeah it's so like, car turns up no no it's alright he's with me so yeah no it's, it's, it's a brilliant scene it's so ramped up Good film. payoff. Yeah. It is good payoff. And yeah, because you, you've got a whole bit of Stone Garcia sliding across the floor, yeah. chucking the gun in the air. It's you just got really him. slick. I got him. I got him. I got him. He actually, One. Boom. Yeah. yeah two. Yeah. <laughs> he actually promises that, you know, he delivers on his promise of being a badass because he was useless at the, the yeah. bridge raid. That's it, actually. Yeah. In, in the story, he's, you know, he's meant to be the best shot and we never see it until that scene. <laughs> until the end, yeah. I guess, I guess they were probably trying to build it up. So that takes us to court. To court. And again, we've got that uh, reinforcement of 1634 Rancine. Oh, I mean, I don't know if we want to talk about the legality part of him switching the juries, the... The judge is on the take. Yeah, it's, 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 it's all minor stuff, but well, it really I mean, gets con- into... Con- considering how they kind of played with the facts of actually what went down. Do you know what I mean? This isn't a completely historically accurate film, so I don't think we should... What? Yeah. what? what? <laughs> you mean um, Kevin Costner wasn't Elliot Ness? No, he wasn't. <laughs> um, so, yeah, these uh, the, the matches give uh, Frank Nitti away in yeah. terms of yeah. the, the assassin. Um, and you've got, you know, very sort of drawn out running across the roof tops climbing is, early, early days of parkour yeah is uh, <laughs> is Elliot Ness gonna shoot an, an unarmed man no no he's too no, good he for that. that he wouldn't do that he just gonna throw him off a building throw him <laughs> off a building um, and again this is one a minor point but it kind of ruins like the effects but also Frank Nitti f- feels like he's falling for a long time yeah, yeah, yeah probably windmill yeah. arms <laughs> But you want him to suffer. You want him. You want him. Yeah. Everybody enjoys that death, even Uh, Nitty. And uh, I love. I've just got when the, the verdict when Capone goes down I love how angry De Niro gets he starts punching his lawyer yeah. oh, he's so angry isn't he yeah. worked up yeah uh, and then the last line what are you going to do you know prohibition is going to uh, be abolished I think I'll have a drink which is quite funny because <laughs> Elliot Ness in real life did become a bit of an alcoholic he started drinking quite heavily in his later career, spending his free time in bars, often telling exaggerated stories of his law enforcement career. So it was actually quite sad that he, um, when he died, um, apart from like his, the fact that he brought down Capone was largely forgotten and 
so he died in 1957, but then the book was po- uh, was published after his death, and then obviously picked up for mm. for the TV show. So it's yeah, he actually had a a bit of a, a, tra- a tragic end. Just a bit of trivia: Connery's accent, even though we've talked about him playing an Egyptian in Highlander, is actually this film, The Untouchables, has awarded him with the worst film accent by Empire Magazine. So out of all the worst accents, even beating Dick Van Dyke really? in Mary Potter. How does yeah. that beat Highlander? No, I'm it's sorry. Not, it's not that bad. I think it's the fact that... It's Maybe it's Irish, it should be easier. Yeah, and the fact he won an Oscar for it as well, I suppose. Well, you got Best Supporting Actor, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, in, that, uh, in terms of Academy Awards, it was uh, nominated for uh, Best Costume Design, Best Original Score, obviously. Of course. Best Production Design, but yeah, it was Connery was the only, out of all those, Connery won. I think that's that his first Oscar. His only Oscar. His only Oscar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a big film for him, you know, and you can see it in all of his... Um, his memorabilia and you can see it a lot of things when you when you search for this film what's quite funny is the fact that Kevin Costner's normally obviously he's on the front of the DVD mm. but he's normally in the background and Connery's always in the foreground but one scene that sorry I forgot to mention it when we covered it but the cabin scene when Costner has to shoot that guy and he's like put your gun down put your gun down and the yeah. guy doesn't and he shoots him what he goes through is acting boy. Yeah. but it's some good and that kind of reinforces the fact that this was his coming of age film this is Costner getting noticed and he does show that he's got the acting chops in that scene yeah he's like he, carry, he, he totally carries the he, film you, you, you see him go through the it's obviously his first kill yeah, yeah, when he, when screaming he, at him yeah, yeah when, he, when he shoots that guy and you, you see him like go through the, the motions and um so it, it does reinforce it, that Connery was the biggest star in this you know well, well, from and his handicap yeah. came right down to <laughs> right. <laughs> best, best run of my life it's something from I think it's uh, the, the Kermode podcast but the in terms of the billing ask for the and you know there's sort of yeah. there's all the cast yeah. and such and such but it says I think with Robert De Niro as Al Capone and Sean, Sean Connery, that's as interesting. so he gets Connery gets the last credit. Oh. But they have that fun game on the Kuma thing where they you replace the and with but. <laughs> <laughs> it's like starring yeah. who's who's the worst addition yeah. to it, but uh, Robert Carlyle. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that leads us on to coulda woulda shoulda. They're they're here. Let them in. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should. So, one of them is definitely true because it's off the, the DVD, but the ones that might not be true, apparently Marlon Brando refused $5 million for two weeks' work as Al Capone. Interesting. Mm. It almost seems a bit too obvious, doesn't yeah. it? Around the same sort of time, De Niro played a younger version of, of Corleone, but it just seems a bit obvious. And apparently De Palma also talked to Jeff Bridges uh, for Elliot Ness. So just, just to say, just that, to say yeah. wouldn't maybe Marlon Brando was really fat by that stage. <laughs> He's the right weight. <laughs> he was the right weight. That's right why he's too fat. Yeah. yeah. But also Gene Hackman for the role of uh, Malone. Interesting. Which yeah, would have been interesting. Interesting. He, he, he could have pulled yeah. that off. Probably done a better Irish accent. Probably. <laughs> but apparently, Mel Gibson was interested in playing Elliot Ness, but he couldn't commit because he was already signed up for a Warner Brothers film called Lethal Weapon. Right, that's not going anywhere. Yeah. So, yeah, that's some. And there was loads of other people apparently linked to the role. So I think Nick Nolte... 
Jack. Apparently he was up for the role of Elliot Ness, which really? you, you couldn't Jack see him in person. <laughs> I really want to brush your hair. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just can't see that happening. Nick Nolte, maybe. Yeah, it seems like... The, the, uh, Nick Nolte could have done Nick Bridges, maybe. Uh, William Hurt, apparently, was linked to it. Yeah, I can see that as well. Yeah, that would have worked. Yeah. You need to be straight-laced. But, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it's it's done, we've talked about it's done wonders for uh, Costner's career. So, yeah, that's uh, Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda. So, uh, how did this film do? Because obviously it's a cult classic for us, but how did it perform? It uh, was a, a big box office. I think it was the sixth biggest opening weekend of that year. Right. And I remember, I think it was Art Lintz and the producer saying it was actually scored really well with women, which he said even he was surprised because considering how violent, you know, film, violent films scored badly with women. But as you say, it was short and it's like Andy Garcia, you got, there's, a, there's not a hunky guys in it. I mean, Wallace, that account, wow. I mean, women are cute. Like <laughs> but no, I mean, as you talked about, the, like there's, you know, it's, you've got a good cast, you've got the the costume. It's a period drama. Chicks dig a period drama. <laughs> I went to see it just for the Giorgio Armani. Exactly. <laughs> it garnered itself a few Academy Awards. Um, bizarrely, it's, it's actually strange not to see Mamet's name actually nominated, but I think he was nominated in some other sort of Screen Guild awards. Yeah, he's got enough like awards. That. Well, that's it. That's it. Husey, where does this sit for you in terms of your De Palma, in terms of your my, rating? My favourite De Palma film. Right. Number one, closely followed by Scarface. And I just, I just, as I said before, it just had everything. It was kind of that big main attraction mm. combined with amazing actors and just a brilliant story. Mm. I mean, it's just, for me, number one De Palma. Chuck? Yeah, it, I think it seems huge. I mean, obviously, you could argue they're both period films even though no but I mean this this beat Scarface for me because Scarface was actually a product of its time it wasn't that it looks like a period film now because it's well, so 80s well, but it wasn't yeah, at yeah. the time like we talked about before with period films they hold up better that's definitely the, 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 the problem with Scarface it has aged pretty badly just in terms of I mean it's, it has, got, isn't it? it's got an amazing 80s soundtrack yeah. for all the wrong reasons yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 a real product of its time. Whereas yeah, we've we've talked about like with Indiana Jones, the the period pieces it, it makes it feel more timeless. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, the the attention to details we've talked about the the costumes, the the cinematography, you know, just the way it's all shot, it's it's brilliant. And going from uh, department to department, from Mission Impossible to this, it's interesting to see. Yeah, no, I was, I was saying that to, 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 to see camera work. Yeah, what, how much, more how much he. Really is like the the way he frames different things and he's a stalker. He has his own style. <laughs> he's, he's a stalker. He is a stalker. He yeah. starts from miles away. But yes, it's a shame because I don't think and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. He yeah. hasn't really done much recently. No, I think. Oh, he did. Did he do the Black Dahlia film? Which he was, did. Yeah, which is terrible. Yeah, it wasn't. Because um, you think, oh yeah, it's a return to sort of gangster 1930s, and it's just yeah, he's he's really sort of lost it, lost his edge sadly, which is which is a shame because yeah, he, he has done some some brilliant stuff over the years. Um, so yeah, I think that's us uh, rounding up, gents. You got anything else you want to add? 
thoroughly enjoyed watching this, even the tough bit. I, as I said, I, I did watch it all the way through six months ago. It was just too much to watch the Connery death again. Um, but no, <laughs> it's I mean, amazing what effect it has on people, though, isn't well, it? Yeah. Because it, it, it genuinely affects all three of us. And it absolutely deserves its accolades for music because it's the one thing I think about. When I think about this film, I just I can hear the soundtrack is etched in my brain. Maybe that's from watching it so much when we were younger, but just really, it just stands out. And it's a bizarre, it's not like, I don't put this, I don't yeah. listen to that type of music, no. you know, much. But it's <laughs> no, it's funny you say that, because, yeah, it's, I'm, I don't spend a huge amount of time listening to, to film scores, but I've got, like, on my playlist on Spotify, this is definitely included in it, oh, in yeah. terms of top film themes. It's, like, orchestral stuff. I just love it. Is it the best Morricone? <sighs> I'd, Probably. I'd, I'd say that. I mean, I uh, I watched the good, the bad, and the ugly at the cinema a few years ago, and I forgot how good the score is for that. Mm. There's there's a bit where the, during the Civil War and it's panning through all the like wounded soldiers, and yeah. it's just really sort of soaring score. And yeah, all, it's yeah, it's that's an amazing score as well. It's a tough it's, one. It's a tough question. Yeah. But a good director of the craft, and you see it at work, you, we're, we've talked about it, you know, we've dissected this film, and it's it's much more than just a gangster flick. It's about the the costume, the soundtrack, the camera work, yeah. the, the cast. Uh, it's, and it's it just, just all it's, comes together it's, it's brilliantly, just epic doesn't it? on all fronts, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not sort of bigging it up. It is like, it's one of those films that, I, I think it does mean a lot to a lot of people. A lot of people have been, I say, introduced to it by like their their dads and stuff. And it's it's one of those. Yeah, it's it's a great uh, gangster film. I can't it? wait to introduce it to my children <laughs> <laughs> in three years. Time. <laughs> um, but you know, uh, well, I have to say a big thank you to uh, to Andy to Hughesy for being with us. Yes. How's how's it been? But it's been great, great yeah. fun. Cheers, guys. Well, really thank you for coming on. Yeah, we've only got three more episodes to record now. Um, and, yeah. and you get to put on an item of clothing. Um, <laughs> Can I put my clothes back on? Then? No, 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 no. You're not being yet, punished. Yet, You're yet. being punished. No, so uh, it's it's been great fun. I've I've been uh, I've been Charlie McGee. I've been George McGee, and I've been Andy Hughes. And uh, we will be back next time, George. With what? Do we know what we're doing yet? Do we ever know what we're doing? We, I do. Uh, well, I'm glad <laughs> one of us. I'm glad one of us. We are. We we. We've got another special because it's some anniversaries uh, for somebody we haven't done on the podcast so far. We've talked about him. We've talked about him. Uh, the muscles from Brussels. Uh, like this. It like is this. Um, what I'm calling JC Van Double D. Oh my god! Uh, so we're not doing one John Claude Van Damme film. We're doing two because it's back to back. It's 25 years of Hard Target. So we're going back to John Woo. We're just wooing it. Yeah. Um, but it's also 30 years of Bloodsport. Yes. You're from Ducks. From, from Ducks. What so, a film. So, yeah, I thought, you know, why do one when you can do both? And we can do that naked. Yeah. With some splits involved, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to get silly. We're going to do some Van, van Damming. Yeah. So, no, th- thank you for listening. Uh, obviously, get us on uh, RetroRamble.blog. We're on iTunes, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Acast, Acast, YouTube. Yeah. And um, we're just heading down to the Quayside. Uh, so, if you're out and about, we'll see you down there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to shoot some golf. <laughs> okay, we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot. Bye bye.